and welcome to another episode of Unearthing Paranormalcy, the podcast that digs into the paranormal and tries to find normalcy in the topic. I'm Amy. I'm Dave. I'm Chad. And I'm Ani. Hi, Ani. How are you? <laughs> Annie, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay, <laughs> Annie? <laughs> you've been hit by, you've been touched by a smooth criminal. Criminal? I'm, I'm from Louisiana, so cri- <laughs> criminal. You've been hit by, you've been touched by a smooth criminal. All right, so we're going to continue our deep, deep dig into the infield poltergeist. I have a question. Who's in the outfield? What? <laughs> it's a baseball question. <laughs> oh. And who's at the bat? Who, who's the outfield poltergeist? <laughs> All right. So let's continue our dig into the events of the infield poltergeist. In the last episode, we introduced the Hodgson family and the events that began taking place in their home August 31st, 1977. We also met some of the major players in helping solve the mystery, including the reporters, as well as the lead investigators, Maurice Gross and Guy Playfair. So now we will start really digging into the investigation and watch as things slowly begin to escalate in intensity. Upon his arrival to the house, Playfair was invited in and asked to take a seat while Peggy made him a cup of tea and went over the events of the past few days. She then introduced him to the family. Graham Morris from the Daily Mirror was at the home, and he showed Playfair the bruise on his forehead. That was the one that got hit by the Lego in the head, right? Correct. Mm -hmm. Peggy informed Playfair of a bit of activity that morning, and the rest of the day had been pretty quiet. At bedtime, he and Morris kept guard on the landing outside the bedrooms, and a camera with a flash stood on a tripod in the bedroom. With a long cable release, which Morris held in his hand, after standing there for around 30 minutes or so, nothing happened. All right, we can go downstairs, Playfair said. Then Graham stomped noisily down the stairs, taking double steps at each step and talking as if Playfair was with him, giving the impression that two people had gone down the stairs. Playfair then peeked around the door into Janet's room and her head popped off the pillow. So, so they're like doing the Abaddon Costello, like, <laughs> <laughs> see you later. <laughs> exactly. He thought, he thought he'd caught her. Only nothing happened. She laid her head back down and then around 1045, something hit the floor in Janet's room. It sounded like a marble, but it didn't bounce or roll. Playfair couldn't figure out how she could have done it. He and Morris crept quietly into the room and Playfair stepped on the marble. It was right in front of the doorway. There was no way Janet could have gotten the marble to the spot without making more noise than what they heard. Playfair tried to recreate it, but the only way he could get the marble not to roll was to place it gently on the floor. The next day, they were taking pictures, and even though they had checked and double-checked the equipment, the flashes on the camera failed to work. This would be the first of many occasions where equipment would malfunction while investigating the infield home. Now, that's pretty common with poltergeist cases, right? It's pretty common with most haunting cases, actually. They drain the energy out of the equipment. Interesting. Now, on September 19, 1977, Playfair made an arrangement to spend the night in the house, the family making him a bed in their small box room. 
which is kind of like their storage room with just it just was full of boxes, but it did have a bed in there. I read that a smallpox room. That would have been a weird place to sleep. <laughs> well, laying in his bed, he heard Janet and Peggy wake up. He peered around the door and asked, "What's up?" Hot dicks and helicopters. Oh, sorry. <clears throat> There's a sort of shuffling noise. Peggy told him. Oh, it was probably me. I've been prowling around, don't worry. He reassured her. As soon as he laid back down in his bed, there was a sharp thud, and something hit the linoleum in the hallway, a few feet from his bed. He looked and found a piece of Lego had come to rest on the stairs. He could see no way how Janet could have thrown it. She had definitely not gotten out of bed. The next night, he secretly tied Janet's bedside chair to the leg of her bed. And almost as soon as she went up to the bed, the chair flipped over. And the garden wire that he had used to secure it had snapped. He tied it up again, using several turns of the wire this time. A few minutes later, after he'd gone downstairs, there was another crash in the bedroom. Peggy and Playfair both rushed up to the bedroom, only to find that now a big armchair by the fireplace had tipped forward. While he went to get his tape measure, there was another thud. This time, the same chair had moved again, this time being witnessed by Peggy herself. They left the room, and Playfair left his tape recorder on the floor by the door to catch any creaking floorboards if Janet got out of bed. A few minutes later, four things happened at once. An empty bed shot out from the wall towards Janet. The small chair tipped over. It had been flung so hard, around so hard the metal legs were out of line. At the same time, one of the books on the mantelpiece flew out the door and slammed into the door of the front bedroom and came to rest standing open upright on the floor by Playfair's bedroom. The book was called Fun and Games with Children. <laughs> Want to play a game? <laughs> Remember that name because that book comes back into play later too. On the tape, he claimed he could hear the swishing of the book as it flew and hit the door and then the floor. But it would have to have bounced off the door at a 30-degree angle to end up where it did in the other room, basically defying the laws of physics. And then the first... The first... And the... the, (laughs) And then the fourth event that happened at that moment was an indention on Peggy's pillow. Look at your pillow, Mum, Janet said. That shape there looks like a... Yes, a small hollow. It's as if someone invisible were laying on the bed. We've got a little girl playing games with us. I've said all along I think it was a child. She had told Playfair about a case in the neighborhood in which a father had suffocated his four-year-old daughter to death and killed himself. Jeez. Peggy had known the man and had some had acquired some of his furniture from the house. So this poltergeist... What? I was just going to ask, would you take the furniture from a house where a little girl was murdered by her father? If it was cheap enough. <laughs> but you got to think, she's living on welfare, so if she yeah. needs something, she's, that's going to be how she's going to have to get it. It's going to be, it's like if you go to an estate cell. Yeah. I, I mean, I have no problem buying dead people's stuff. I, I just knew you, you, you've been kind of superstitious in the past of spirits attaching themselves to items. Yes. I'm usually very particular when I, because I love estate sales, but I'm usually very particular about items that I do bring home. I, yeah. I, I do, um, feel them out a little bit before they make it into the house and i i have also saged things before just right. because 
Yeah, I don't need no. I don't need no poltergeist or polka dice. Polka dice. Ninety nine problems and polka dice ain't one. <laughs> <laughs> Could the poltergeist be this lost spirit of a four year old little girl? Only time would provide the answers they so desperately needed. After a short conversation between Peggy and Playfair about spirits and how they can become lost and confused and stick around, Playfair said goodnight and went downstairs. Of course, just moment, a moment later, it sounded like the house was falling in on itself. There was a loud scream from Margaret. She yelled, Mom! Running back upstairs, Playfair and Peggy discovered the heavy chest of drawers against the wall had tipped forward and its empty drawer slid out onto the floor and it came to rest wedged against the big armchair at about a 45 degree angle. Oh my, what strength, whatever it is, is bloody powerful, Margaret exclaimed. It's getting more powerful every day. I saw that. I was looking there. I saw a move. I saw a tilt over. I heard creaks on the floor. Janet told them. Interesting enough, Playfair was able to catch the sound of the creaks on his tape recorder. The next day, Playfair and Gross decided to contact every maker of video equipment in the country and ask them if they were willing to lend them a camera and tape deck so they could try to photograph this poltergeist in action. That's a heck of a call list. As bold as this approach may seem, it did work. And that very night, a team of ghost hunters from Cambridge arrived. One of them was the product manager and chief demonstrator of Pi Business Communications. And they provided all the equipment free of charge. The Pi Nuvacon camera was about the size of a brick and took a pretty clear picture by the light of a candle. And the picture became brighter as it picks up the infrared emissions from the human body. They got everything tested and set up. They had the camera on a tripod in Janet's room, and then a monitor downstairs so they could observe what was going on in the room without having to be there. When they switched on the recorder for the second time that week, another expensive piece of equipment failed to function. Upon further investigation, it was determined that the tape had dropped under the guide pulley and jammed the pulley into the pin. It took a considerable amount of force to get the two parts free. It's not impossible for a fault like this to happen, but it's extremely unlikely. Ron Denny, who was in charge of the equipment, said in a written statement, We've got mechanical-minded spoke on our hand, Gross commented. Finally, they got the equipment to work, and they sat to watch for several hours. It was the dullest TV show ever. Playfair wrote in his book. <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> Just watching people sleep. You, you remember there was always that segment on the ghost hunters where it would show them going through the footage. And they're just in the like half sleepy eye, just <laughs> staring at the monitor. And then one person would be like, oh, "Did you see that?" And he'd be like, "What? What? You woke me up." <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah, that was crazy. Janet went to sleep, and absolutely nothing happened. The team came back on two other occasions, and each time received a repeated performance. Not a single movement of anything. We would have got something normal or otherwise if Jen had known there was a camera on. I think the thing uses Janet's sense of perception. If she doesn't know something, nor does it. Playfair stated to Gross. I wouldn't count on it, guy. It's smarter than we are. Look at its timing. The moment you go out of the room, something happens. You stay in the room for hours and nothing moves. It knows what we're up to. Every now and then, it does. Let us see it at work, doesn't it? You, anyway. 
That's what baffles me. It happens just before the pie people arrive. I haven't had time to tell you. Well, I was sitting in the kitchen alone in the room, mock you, when all of a sudden the teapot besides the stove began to rock back and forth on its own for about seven seconds, doing a little dance right in front of my eyes. The pot was empty, and it was cold. There was no way it could do that normally. I'm a little teapot, short and stout. <laughs> I'm a little teapot, short and spot. Here is my... That's the whole time you're eating. That's what I was thinking. You know, there's an adult form to that, right? No, we're not talking about it. Playfair then suggested they try bugging the house. It wasn't going to be easy, and it wasn't 100% ethical, but it was worth a try. I'm telling you, these guys are spies. Come, come showing up in a Jaguar on the first day, you know, grossed and then... Technically, it's yeah. called a Jaguar. They, they, uh, yeah, they work for British intelligence, I bet. <laughs> or a very high-end porn company. <laughs> That's how they were able to get a company to donate all the equipment they needed. Wait, mm-hmm. you're going to be filming a lot of women? Okay. Also, they decided they needed to find a way to stop what was going on. But How? Guy Playfair showed Gross an article from the Psychic News, the weekly spiritualist newspaper. The editor had commented on the infield case, saying he thought it was odd that nobody had thought to call in a medium to solve the mystery. Playfair had worked with mediums in, in the past, but although he could find a handful of them in Brazil, they were much harder to come by in London. Gross, on the other hand, wasn't too thrilled about the idea of working with a medium, but at the same time had no objections to trying to locate one. At this point, I think they were willing to try anything. Playfair contacted Paul Beard, principal of the College of Psychic Studies, and asked for help. He gave him the name of a person he felt was best suited to help in the case. Unfortunately, she and her husband were away on holiday and weren't going to be back until the first week in October. Meanwhile, the events didn't slow down at the Hodgson's house. The following is from Peggy's notebook. Janet and I woke up. We waited a moment before we got up. We thought we heard a soft footstep. All at once, the small chair by the bed jumped once. Then as I got out of bed, it jumped again. Time, 6.45 a.m. As I went up to the bathroom, Janet followed. The big chest of drawers jumped. Then right over on on its side, 6.50 a.m. We came downstairs, all of us. Janet was in the front room alone. Cushions jumped off a red chair near the glass cabinet. 7 a.m. Next small TV table in the corner turns over with a few things t- on top onto the floor. 7.05 a.m. Janet alone in the room. Big red chair far corner turns over. Janet walks through the kitchen to go to the toilet. Kitchen chair jumps on the floor. Me in front room. 8.40 a.m. First off, that's a lot of stuff. And you can definitely tell that she's been doing this a while because it's so shorthanded and stuff. That, oh, yeah. And then we're, we're what, about maybe two, three weeks into this? Yeah. And I mean, how long before Gross had had her start Instantly. recording stuff down? That, you know? The same the same day he got there, he gave her a notebook to start writing. So stuff she's down. really only been writing this stuff for maybe like a week, maybe. Yeah. So I just found it interesting. She has to go to the kitchen to the toilet. There's so, only one toilet in the house, and it's downstairs down a hallway. Ah. So it's almost like because of all the shorthand, it's like almost like a chore for her, and she doesn't seem the, to be too excited. I said the way it. she writes, <laughs> it almost kind of makes it sound well, like it's like uh, here it is think, again. Here it is again. Oh, this shit again. <laughs> Between 6.45 and 7.05, which is, what, 20 minutes? Yeah. There's th- four events that happen. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. She's having to write it down quick. <laughs> this, this is wild. <laughs> As the morning th- went on, things were happening so fast, she could only write the barest of details. 
Janet Kitchen. We watch chair. It goes over with Janet in it. Green sofa jumps over as Janet gets up. In search of some relief, the Hodgsons went down the road to Peggy's brother's home. Whatever it was seemed to follow them, materializing an object right in front of Peggy's sister-in-law, Sylvie, as she was pouring water from the tea kettle into the teapot. So apparently this thing could follow them now. Another new development at this time was the appearance of apparitions. Vic Nottingham was the first to see this phenomenon. Do, 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 do. He claimed he was walking back to his home from the shed and he saw in the window of the Hodgson's house an old gray-haired lady. Vic mentioned to his wife, but no one else. When Peggy returned home, he met her outside of the sh- in the street and told her about what he'd seen. I just seen her again, the old lady in the window. Peggy told Vic. Her description matched his exactly, except that she saw the apparition in the front window and he saw it in the back window. So we we now have a month of activity and there's been a total of 15 15 different people in addition to the five Hodgkin's family members who have witnessed something in this home. Gross and Playfair are pretty satisfied that the infield case was genuine. But it wasn't until the evening of October 15th, 1977 that Playfair finally put his all his doubts aside. I said October 15, 1977. That was like our negative, what, 22nd anniversary? <laughs> 20, uh, 30 seconds? 30 second. Yeah. Oh. Uh, uh, so in, on October 15, 1977, that put Playfair, any doubts that Playfair had aside. The following is a transcript from the tape recorder that Playfair had hidden in the house shortly before he left to go get a bite to eat. He refused to let Peggy feed him. There's a loud bang. What was that? Margaret asked. Nothing. Peggy replied. You're getting me in a panic, Margaret said. There's no need to get in a panic. Next Saturday evening at 735, action adventure with... Voice from the TV. Then there was a terrific crash. God, cried Margaret. Just miss me. All right, don't panic. There was another crash. I was about to sit on it, and it went bang over. Janet sounded more annoyed than frightened. Wait a minute. Open that door. Look at this lot. Another loud clatter interrupted her. It hit me. Billy cried. Hurry up, Mr. Playfair, wherever you are. He hasn't gone that way. He's gone the other way. When he returned, these are the notes he took of the events that Peggy told him took place while he was gone. Red chair in living room. Overturned. Sofa. Overturned. Janet's toothbrush and mug shot out of her hand as she cleaned her teeth. Teapot traveled from bedside sink to far corner. Seen by Margaret and Peggy. Billy hit by plastic scrubbing brush, apparently quite hard on the head. Both tables in the kitchen moved, one without turning over, the other with the drawer, which I don't recall moving before, went over as I came in. Margaret told Playfair that she had been or she had seen the brush fly across the room and hit Billy in the head. I seen it lift up and vroom. <laughs> now Playfair told us that there wasn't going to be good dialogue in this. <laughs> and this is all I am hearing is good dialogue. <laughs> it hit me. Charlie bit me. As she was telling this to Playfair, Playfair himself saw Janet get up and walk towards him. Then there was a swish sound and a loud thud. The chair she'd been sitting in had slid across the carpet towards her and then shot over backwards. 
The chair was heavy enough that it actually crumpled the carpet as it slid. Janet went into the kitchen to help clean up the knives and forks that had fallen out of the drawer when the table had flipped. And Playfair used this time to investigate the chair. I mean, it's very difficult to move a chair when you want to when it's on carpet. Yeah. Much less when somebody's in it and it's moving. Yeah. He found this to be impossible because of the chair's weight. The only way he could get it to go over backwards was to push on the back part of the chair very hard. And Janet had been at least a step away from the chair when it had gone over. While he was still investigating the chair and with Janet in full view, he watched the second kitchen table flip over its top slamming onto the tile floor. Playfair ran into the kitchen. Hang on. I saw you sitting there the minute that thing went over. Well, you didn't do that one. This was good enough to erase any doubt in his mind that Janet or her mother had anything to do with these events. During the excitement, Peggy made a very interesting statement to Playfair. She said right before the poltergeist acts up, she will get a headache in the front of her head. What do you make of that? Since in the energy? Or like the, the pull of the energy? Yeah. The oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, some kind of uh, some kind of a almost like a psychic type connection with that. Yeah. The children went to bed that night around ten thirty and the and Playfair went home. As soon as he left, the knocking started again. It went on a good two and a half hours, Peggy Nottingham told Playfair. It got louder and then it got softer. And then it got louder again. Then we heard things being thrown at our wall. Around this time it became reasonable for Playfair to think that there was Something that Poltergeist was trying to say with the knocking. And he wanted to see what it had to say. But also at this time, the medium he had contacted was back from her holiday. And she told him that on no account should he try to communicate with the Poltergeist. That would only encourage it. Instead, he made arrangements for Annie Shaw, the medium, and her husband, George, to come to Enfield. They promised that they could stop it. The night before the Shaws showed up, a new development in the case began. The falling is an account from John Burcombe, Peggy's brother. Janet was crying in his sleep. It started off as a very slow cry. Then, as time got on, it got worse. She got hysterical. She seemed to be the nearest I can describe it as in a trance. I got my portable radio, played it very loudly in her ear. But this had no effect on her whatsoever. In John's work as head porter at the hospital, he had seen doctors use Radio 1 therapy, basically playing pop music in the ear of patients in comas. Playfair began to worry that this case could be turning into possession. The next day, the Shaws arrived, and they firmly refused any payment or publicity for their work. They saw it as a service, and that should be given freely. The Shaws got to work at once, Annie settling herself down in a wooden chair in the middle of the living room. Now it's quite possible that some entity will come through me. It might be a bit obstreperous, but don't worry. George knows how to deal with them. George said a brief prayer and Annie began to breathe heavily. No need to be frightened. Nobody will get hit. George told the group watching. Now, can you see me? Annie cried out. Go away! Then she began to laugh in a grotesque crackle. Time has come to stop it, George said firmly. This escalated very quickly. Then he took a small mirror out from his pocket and held it in front of her face. Annie promptly turned and spat at him. I've been spat at by better people than you. (laughs) Now you look at this 
and see what went wrong, and we'll show you how to put it right. George said quietly. Goza! Goza! Help me, Elvie! Come here! Annie moaned. You're getting help. You've forgotten that you're a child of God. Now look, this is what you have become. George held the mirror up again. We're going to take you away, where you can have a peaceful life. See the blue door? We're going through it together. <laughs> Hold on, when I was going over this earlier, I saw that part where Annie moaned. So I, was, <laughs> so I, I tried to read it. I was like, Goza! Goza! Come here! Of course she did. <laughs> This medium's out of her freaking mind. She she seems like uh, she's really putting on a show. George went on like this for a while. Annie finally calmed down. You stay away from this place. Try coming here, and you'll feel that burning again. He concluded. Annie finally came back to normal and informed Playfair and the room that... Oh dear, it seems centered around Janet. But there are quite a number of them. George told the group... The Gozer is a nasty piece of work. A sort of black magic chap. The other one, Elvie, is an elemental. And Gozer is using her. He's the boss. If we get her out of the way, the whole setup will fall apart. Now, is this where they got the name for the Ghostbusters? Ghost? Gozer? Maybe. Possibly. We've got to administer some auric healing. The auric field around them both is leaking. And they are drawing power from both of you. Annie told Janet and Peggy. They proceeded to heal Peggy and Janet's auroric fields. George then told them, We know there's a psychic weakness here, and also a very disturbing family condition. That makes the target for whatever is around, and there was something very nasty going around that you didn't miss, because you weren't protected enough. There had been a bit of experience in the past. You felt immersed in a waves of hate, simmering away. It's partly that. Annie added, Peggy agreed she often did feel bitter bitter about her ex-husband and had kept her feelings bottled up for some years. The Shaws then invited the Hodgsons to come to their home for further healing, which they did. The rest of the week was much quieter than previous weeks, which Playfair didn't think was just a coincidence. Gross and Playfair decided the Hodgsons Hodgsons needed a break, a bit of time to just get out of the house and relax. And while Gross and Playfair needed it too, both caught bad colds, but before the family could set out on their vacation, the activity in the house went back to normal. Furniture was flying all over the place. Beds shook. Sheets and blankets were pulled and ripped off the beds. All the while, knocks and assorted bumps would keep both the Hodgsons and the Nottinghams next door up all night. Things began happening so fast that they were unable to keep score, losing count at well over the 400 mark. I wouldn't call that normal. No. Well, it was normal for the poltergeist house. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> I guess. Yeah. That's a good point. I see what Another you're day about. in Enfield. Hey, come on. Home sweet home. <laughs> Marble. Lego. Slipper. It's going back to the wall. It's going back to the wall. Home run. So they just walk in there and just naturally ducking. <laughs> Bob and weave <laughs> as you walk in the door. It looks Don't like ever walk straight line. Looks like a damn dance move. <laughs> Hit, the Hit, no, <laughs> Hit the Bernie. No, aim back. No, aim back. Hit the Bernie. Hit the Bernie. It reminds me of the spike dance we used to do with Mimo Papa. Had that dog that would just bite our feet every time we walk in the house. As soon as we high, high step, high step, high step, all the way to a couch because he couldn't jump on the couch. So you just high step and then you jump on the couch while he's like <laughs> attacking your feet until Grandpa could get him and put can, him away. Can, can you repeat that? 
Okay. Yeah. He was a mean little shit. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Pools of water would suddenly appear in the kitchen floor when nobody was in the room. Both Gross and Playfair independently discovered these strange puddles at different times. They were about two feet in diameter, had a sharp outline, as if drawn with a finger. It was also a very odd shape, resembling a tiny human figure with arms and legs outstretched. After mopping up the puddle, Playfair tried to recreate it by pouring water from a glass and squeezing it from a cloth, but each time the water would splash, leaving a jagged contour. Also, Janet was having problems at school. My chest started jumping, Janet told Playfair one day when she came home from school. And my schoolwork's all bad. (laughs) She showed him her exercise book, and it was all very neatly written until there was a long squiggle where something had jogged her arm. (laughs) She's just just blaming this ghost (laughs) on her schoolwork. It's his fault, I swear. Do these things worry you? Gross asked her. They do at school. Do they worry you at home? Oh, yes, sometimes. You don't look very worried to me. No, I'm getting used to it. I hate to be scared, really. She also told him that while she was laying down in the medical room, she felt as somebody was shaking the bed. Gross asked her who she thought it might be might be doing it, and she replied, It could be the polka dice. I choose okay, you. So, to recap... They have a medical room. They have a box room. Well, the medical room was at school. Oh, at school. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like in the nurse's office. I was like, I thought you said this was, um, what was it, uh, like Section 8 housing. It is. Yeah. But they have, basically, there's two bedrooms and then the box room, which is basically mm-hmm. just a third bedroom that they just have all their storage in it. So probably like a small, or a large closet. Like an attic. Like, you know, sometimes yeah. the two-story houses will have like that, that unfinished little attic room. It's mm-hmm. kind of what I'm picturing. No, I was I was thinking the medical school room was at oh. the house, and I was like, <laughs> "We got the medical bay, the bowling alley. <laughs> we got all all four kids in one room, and then we got a medical room, and then <laughs> yeah, British welfare is a lot better than American." <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't forget the movie theater. <laughs> one night, Janet reported that she felt like someone was putting a hand over her nose and mouth to stop her breathing. Playfair sat on the bed and had a long talk with her about. what the Shaws had told her, and about trying to control her energy. He hadn't even made it down the stairs when there was a loud crash in her room. There was an old man sitting on that chair, putting his hands on my face. I couldn't breathe, Janet told him. She looked very distressed, and Playfair believed that it was genuine fear. On another occasion, she told her mother that she saw an old man sitting on her bed who looked very much like Vic Nottingham's deceased father who always was very kind to her when alive. It wasn't just Janet who started seeing apparitions at this point. Margaret, Peggy, Vic Nottingham, and John Burcombe, and his daughter, Denise, had all reported seeing a similar one. Some of the names, I wrote down the names from the book, which are pseudonames that I then later found were pseudonames, so I might change names as we read. And if you run across a Rose or a Johnny, it's Margaret or Billy. (laughs) Oh, Because I was, I was... Sitting there writing it and crossing it over. I I'm, I'm telling you, their spies are even using code names. Like, <laughs> code name Billy. <laughs> What's my name? Billy. <laughs> Being that the activity had definitely returned just two weeks after the Shaw's visit, Playfair decided to call in more help. This time he turned to conventional science. He, contact- he contacted Professor John B. Hasted, the head of the physics department at Burbeck College. 
He agreed to help, and he was well known for his research into the metal bending phenomenon. Do, 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 do. And he had recently joined the SPR. He pr- promptly assigned one of his students to the infield case. Hasted has also recommended that Guy Playfair make an attempt to control the poltergeist and make contact with the entity. But Guy had mixed feelings about this after what the Shahs had told him. So he sought out a third opinion. He went down to the south coast to visit Dr. E.J. Dingwall, the oldest living SPR member and probably the world's leading authority on psychical phenomena. His advice when Playfair told him about the knocking... Well then, wrap it back. And my name is Spooky Dookie Dookie. Yeah, that's what I do to do. <laughs> huh? What? Phenomena. Yeah, yeah phenomena. <laughs> <laughs> you said wrap it back. <laughs> so they did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Stop. Collaborate <laughs> and listen. Ice is back with a brand, brand new, new edition. Something. Because I'll hold it me tightly. It flows like a harpoon daily and nightly. nightly. Will it ever stop, yo? I don't know. Turn off the lights. And I'll go. To the extreme. I like a mic like a vandal. Live the stage and want to chump like a candle. Dance. Dance. <laughs> Killing your brain like a poisonous mushroom. Deadly. When I hear dope melody, anything less than the best is a felony. <laughs> Will it ever stop? Uh, wait. I don't know. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, serious. I can't hear you. I think my headphones went out. <laughs> Sorry, that's what I do when I'm speaking lazy. I ain't Playfair's. I might. We go down south to the Louisiana border. Playfair's first attempt to control the poltergeist was a complete failure. Yes, it was. By this point, slippers, dolls, cushions were all being flung, flung about the bedroom so often that he decided to see what would happen if he just took all the projectiles out of the room leaving nothing in the room except for the occupants in their beds. So, so I'd stop you there. I think that Chad would much rather be hit with the face of the Lego than a doll. Yeah, especially with yeah, Batman. Yeah, look at his eyeballs. He's like, yeah, yeah. I've been hit in the face with Batman doll. <laughs> no, <laughs> my freaking nose. <laughs> oh, I've never been slapped by Barbie before. All right, leaving nothing in the room except for its occupants and their beds and the old disused gas fireplace built into the wall. Well, apparently the poltergeist wasn't at all too thrilled with the lack of objects to throw around. So it, it decided to try to throw the fireplace. Sometime after 11... <laughs> Is he a firebender? <laughs> Shit. Some... That, that dang old firebender over there trying to throw a fireplace at her. Sometime after 11 p.m. that night, the poltergeist had pulled the iron grill off the bottom part of the fireplace and threw it across the room. It landed on Billy's pillow, just missing him. It would have killed him if it would landed on his head. Yeah, that ain't no shit. That um, that iron grill it weighed like a hundred pounds. Yeah, it only takes like what ten pounds to actually crush a skull. I yeah. have no idea. Isn't it like ten pounds? We can 10 find out. Of <laughs> well, my skull wouldn't be the perfect fucking example of that. The right side is fine. The following evening, before the family settled in for the night, and seconds after Gross and Playfair had left, a furious barrage of knocking began. And at the same time, all the toys and slippers, which Playfair had left alone this time, were thrown all over the place, hitting Miss Hodgson in the face. Playfair ended up staying the night again in the extra room. The rest of the night was calm. Then a thud woke him up about 8.15 in the morning. He switched on his recorder, which was linked to a microphone in the girls' room. The following is what he caught. 
I can't sleep, Margaret, Miss Hodgson said. And then there was another thud. Uh, that hit m- me on the belly. There was a f- suddenly violent shaking sound, immediately followed by total panic. Oh, Lord, that doesn't. All that power, I'm getting out. Miss Hodgson's <gasps> cried. Where's Mr. Playfair? Janet cried out. By this point, Playfair was already on his feet and in the doorway. He saw the entire iron frame of the gas fireplace had been ripped out of the wall and was standing at an angle on the floor, still attached to a half-inch diameter brass pipe that was connected to the main line. The pipe had been bent through at an angle of 32 degrees. The thing was was cemented into the brick wall. When they finally dismantled and removed it from the house, it was a great job to move, and it must have weighed at least 50 pounds. During the commotion, Playfair had seen a red object fly by his door. And now that the family was up and leaving the room, because let's face it, would you want to stay in a room where a 50-pound fireplace had just been ripped from a brick wall? From an unknown force? Mm-mm. I'll go stay in the medical room or the extra room or the box room. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to the theater. I'm, I'm going to the bowling alley. <laughs> Wait, no, that's more projectiles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bowling balls and pins. He decided to look for whatever this object was. He thought it was probably a slipper, but he didn't want anyone to know what he was looking for. From the angle he saw the object fly, there was only one real place that it could have landed. But upon looking in the room, he couldn't see it anywhere. He called to Peggy. Can you hang on a minute? I'll come down with you if it's going to be one of those mornings. I'll wait, Peggy answered. He put on his shoes and started with the family down the stairs. Margaret was behind him. Oh, look, there's one of the slippers that was thrown. One of them fluffy ones, she pointed out. Placed in the middle of the front doormat at the foot of the stairs was indeed one of the red slippers. Wait a minute. That's the one I saw. How did it get there? How did it go around the corner? It didn't go through the door, Playfair said. It can't have gone all the way down there, Margaret said. Well, it's there, isn't it? Playfair replied. I've seen crowns and bits of Legos in that coming through the ceiling. Peggy commented casually as if it wasn't some big deal that solid matter might pass through solid matter. Later, the girls found this another osmosis. <laughs> Later, the girls found the other slipper downstairs in the living room, roughly underneath where it should have been, beside the bed upstairs. Later that morning, the Hodgsons were in the kitchen eating breakfast, and Guy went up to pack his bag. There was a large crash from downstairs. When he got back to the kitchen, he had discovered that Janet's bowl of cereal had shot across the room and smashed bits on the floor. Playfair told Janet that if she wanted another bowl, he would wait or to wait for him and he would sit with her. He went to the bathroom and before he got back, it had happened again. I don't want lucky charms. (laughs) (laughs) Later that evening, Playfair told Peggy that he felt it was essential to try to dialogue with this thing, despite what the Shaws had said. That evening, the Hodgson's family went up to bed. Playfair and John Burcombe stayed downstairs to try to make contact. Playfair stood on a chair so that he could tap on the living room ceiling. Now, listen, whoever you are, I want to talk to you. One knock means yes, two knocks means no. Do you understand? Playfair notified the spirit. For example, yes, no. There was a single thud overhead. From the tape recorder in the room with the family. Here we go. We're off. 
That was a slipper cover. Cover your head, Billy. Oh my God. (laughs) 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 Why? Sounds like she's so used to it by now. Here we go. We're off. That was a slipper cover your head, Billy. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Peggy said as another object was thrown. Mr. Playfair's knocking a sea of asses, Janet said. Immediately, there were two groups of knocks very close to the recorder, but they sounded very different different than the knocks that Playfair was making. Oh, it's answering, Mum. It's up here, Margaret said. Back downstairs. Right. Stop throwing things about and let's have a chat. I want to know who you are, why you're here, and what you want. You're in trouble and you need help. Do you realize that? You shouldn't be here. Don't make me count to three. Playfair announced to the entity. There were four sharp raps and then a group of seven, a pause, and four more. No, wait a minute. Look, one knock for yes and two for no. Got it? In the poltergeist's defense... That wasn't really a yes or no question. That was like four questions all in one. And he wanted to know why he was there, what he wanted. He was using Morse code <laughs> to answer. <laughs> that means fuck off. Shorthand. <laughs> Wait, how do you cursive? <laughs> <laughs> Then there was a volley of angry sounding raps. Yo, yeah, I'm tired of this shit. Yeah. (laughs) Don't you realize that you are dead? There were no knocks in reply. Oh, we are dead. But at once, there was complete pandemonium upstairs. It's going to get annoying now, you watch. Peggy said as a cushion shot up. (laughs) 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 Was the cousin (laughs) jacking off the rim? (laughs) That's nasty. And you're the uh, non... What the hell is that word called? I don't know. Peggy said as a cushion shot across the room. This could get a lot worse, stated Margaret. Ouch! That hit me on the head. You all right, Bill? Peggy asked Billy, who seemed to be asleep. Mom! (laughs) Really? Your daughter just goes, ow, it hit me on the head. You're like, you okay, Billy? I, I don't think we can stress enough how sound of sleepers these people were. <laughs> you know, remember when they were trying to wake up Janet by like opening her eyelids and like poking her in the eye and stuff? I just thought like she asked if her son's okay after not her daughter's. <laughs> Ow! Well, of course, he's the favorite. He's the baby. <laughs> Mum, you all right? Margaret asked. Yes, I'm all right. At that moment, there was a swish, a thud, and a yell from Margaret. Margaret. Yeah. Peggy then started to laugh. <laughs> I'm confused. Why is it funny? Because she obviously doesn't give a fuck about Margaret. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck Margaret. (laughs) Don't laugh. Ow! That went in my eye. Margaret cried. A slipper cushion had scored a direct hit. Ow! She cried again. There was a loud thump right under the right by the tape recorder. Oh God! Oh cripes! That was my eye. Peggy exclaimed. Margaret also was was also hit again for the third time. <laughs> yeah. Mom cares none. <laughs> and, that, a, and again, this is great dialogue. I don't know what Flavor was talking about. 
Back downstairs, not getting much response, Playfair had given up on communicating with this thing. Then from upstairs, Mom! Janet cried. Playfair rushed upstairs. Look at the bed going up and down. Look at it at the end. Playfair opened the door. All right. It's only me. Blimey. Playfair said. It looked as though the Hodgsons had just survived a tornado. I thought it was served. It just got <laughs> served by a tornado. <laughs> yeah, don't come back. All this rapping got me thinking. <laughs> you got served. You got blown away. As Playfair was trying to figure out what, what had been thrown, and the room was littered with slippers, teddy, teddy bears, dolls, cushions, pillows, and even blankets, Jar- John Burcombe put his head around the door. Oi, did you just come downstairs? He asked. I hadn't. Where somebody just walked downstairs. Oh, well, ask it to come back again. I want to talk to it. Oh, mate, come back. <laughs> John, said, fuck off. John did just that, but there was no reply. <laughs> Baby, come back. <laughs> Ghosty, come back. Probably because Playfair was so damn mean to him. <laughs> Finally, October 29th had arrived, and the whole Hodgson's family was off on their, or their seaside holiday. Older son John even got to go with them. Yes. During their vacation, they only had one strange incident occur. The children were sleeping in bunk beds and all in the same room. And one night they heard a funny noise like someone imitating a dog barking. Janet thought it was John and John thought it was Janet. Their mother came in and told them to keep quiet, but nothing else happened during the trip. The trip also gave Gross and Playfair some much needed rest as well. As the train bringing the Hodgson's home pulled into the station, Peggy began to cry, which was something she rarely did. Her week of relaxation was over, and she was returning to an environment God, she why? couldn't help but associate with fear and tension. Why did Margaret have to make the trip back? <laughs> <laughs> they didn't go straight home, but instead spent the afternoon of November 5th at the Burkhams, joined by Gross and Playfair. The trip seemed to be good for everyone, but upon returning home to their home that evening, it was as though they'd never left, and things picked right back up where they had left off eight days before. Welcome back. <laughs> Missed you. <laughs> this time, Gross, Gross decided he was going to try to make contact. Gross began. Can you tell me what five and five are? Immediately, there were ten clear knocks. Gross asked another simple math question, but only received a nonsensical rat-tat-tat-tat-tat. After some more unsuccessful questioning, Gross asked both John and Pe- John Burcombe and Peggy Nottingham to leave the room. But as they were leaving, a slipper was thrown towards Margaret. <laughs> oh! <laughs> it just threw a slipper while you all were in the room. It was not within reach of the children. It was down and near the bed. Gross stated in the recorder. Just then, there were two clear knocks on the floor. Gross repeated his instructions, one rap for no, and two raps for yes. And the last, at last, they began to get answers. Did you die in this house? Will you go away now? How many years did you live here? Ten? More than ten? More than twenty? More than thirty? Can you spell out the numbers of years ago that you moved away? I will now play a rec- the rest of the recording of this encounter. Was that 53 years ago? Yes, 53. I counted 53. I think that was right. I'll ask you again. Was it 53 years ago? It was. Thank you. 
part of it, now established that she moved away 53 years ago. And I'll ask you the question again, did you die this year? You did die this year. Right. Now, why are you in this house? You shouldn't really be here. You understand that, do you? You understand that you really shouldn't be in this house. You do understand you shouldn't be in this house. You do. That was, again, two knocks. It's now doing the rat tat 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 tat. Now I'm going to ask you a question. Are you having a game with me? Oh, right. As I ask the as I ask the question, are you having a game with me? It threw it threw the the cardboard box and the pillow right on my face. Well, thank you very much. That was a very good answer. Well, if I, no, just a It went from screaming and scared to ho ho blind me. Like, <laughs> hey, I just say, so far our voices sound pretty right on. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> After the pillow incident, things calmed down for a bit. Gross stayed upstairs and Playfair went downstairs. Gross was in the room with the children and the mother. As they were getting ready for bed, there was a loud crash from upstairs. A framed certificate of Janet's had come off the wall. It had been securely fastened with a hook and nail. I'll now play that recording. As soon as you get to sleep, as soon as it's going to be quiet. This most of the same things were going on: knock, slipper assaults, apparitions, etc. But then, November tenth, nineteen seventy-seven, was a special day. It was Janet's twelfth birthday. Yay! And the poltergeist had something special in store for everyone. Oh no! Oh yes! 
November 10th also happened to be the day that Eduardo Blanowski, Blanowski, a young Argentine Argentine physicist and a student of Professor Hasted had sent to work at the infield case, arrived at the home. Before his arrival, though, Gross arrived at the house to find that all of the furniture in the living room had been overturned. An ashtray had shot off an armchair and hit the ceiling. Two knives had come sailing out of the kitchen into the living. Jeez. Um, the next and next door, a miniature Guinness bottle had hopped off the shelf onto the center of the room in front of Peggy Nottingham. Drink, bitch. You know, more of just the normal everyday happenings at the infield house. Can you imagine coming downstairs and like all the pictures fall off the wall and you're still like walking downstairs, still yawning, like uh, going into the kitchen, getting a pot of coffee. Good morning. <laughs> yeah, going into the kitchen, plates are flying, you dug right at the same time, you go and pour yourself a cup of coffee and you're still just seeing all these plates fly around, the table flips over and then finally something hits the pot and drains the rest of the coffee you're like fuck you ghost <laughs> like i wasn't finished about 9 p.m. eduardo and playfair were expected to arrive and there was a knock at the door margaret went to open the door but found that there was no one there gross went upstairs and on his way down heard a knock on the same door and opened it there was nobody there at this particular time playfair was down the road having a drink at the pub with our eduardo uh, talking about the equipment that he'd brought. Gross again was upstairs, and this time one of the big armchairs went over backwards with Janet sitting on it. As soon as he came back into the living room, he saw the heavy green sofa rise about four feet off the ground and flip over backwards and crash upside down onto the floor. Here's what was on the recorder. Look, stead on. I'll calm down, Gross said. Don't get too excited, John Burcombe added. Time is five to nine, all right. Janet added, added, she had been well trained at this time to note the time of incidents. Right. Now who's going down to put the kettle on? Oh, he can think about his tea. John Burcombe added. A moment later. It just threw Janet off the chair absolutely in front of me. And I saw her go flying. Not only had Janet, Janet gone flying, but the cushion she'd been sitting on went with her about eight feet. Where are you going? Janet Burcombe exclaimed. Peggy was staggering and fell on top of him as he sat in his chair. I honestly feel as though I was being pushed over. I am sorry, John. I couldn't get my balance. I've never experienced that before, Peggy said. I'll read you a story about Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Can can you hit Jesus one more time? Jesus, Janet said. (laughs) That was random. But, but Peggy's like, oh, no, oh, look what happened by accident. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Oh, no, I fell on your penis. Oh. That's your it's, brother. <laughs> oh. It's quite a nice penis to parade in your pants. Come on, Mr. Playfair, you're missing it all. Peggy mentioned. <clears throat> I want to fall on Mr. Playfair's penis. <laughs> Oops, I'm falling over and over again. <laughs> I'll read you a story about Jesus. <laughs> The thing now is they're coming. So it's having a good game before they come. Whether it'll be do anything when they're here, I don't. Gross was interrupted. There was a deafening crash from the kitchen where Peggy had just come, or had just gone to make tea. Make, <laughs> make tea. The plastic drainer full of cuttery flying across the kitchen. As it landed, there was yet another knock at the door. 
This time, it was Eduardo and Playfair. Janet peered through the curtain. Here they come! Oh, my God! Before she got to the door, there was another crash from the kitchen, followed at once by yet another. Both tables had gone flying. As soon as Playfair and Eduardo came into the house, all was quiet. Eduardo kept calm and said nothing apart from the normal greetings. Playfair introduced him as they carried the magnetometer that Eduardo had brought up to the bedroom. Now that clearly says magnetometer. (laughs) (laughs) But no, you pronounced it right. (laughs) It just Yes. The magnetometer. It just sounds like a like a comic book toy (laughs) when you say it like that. Once everyone was settled into the bed into bed, Playfair and Eduardo switched on the tape recorder and the magnetometer and left the room. From the landing they saw Janet's pillow fly across the room twice. Each time the pillow was thrown, the needle on the magnetometer did indeed deflect. Edwater thought it might have been caused by the creaking bed springs. After a while, Playfair began to get worried that the super expensive machine was, that was on loan from the university might end up broken, so they decided to call off the investigation. But they were satisfied that there seemed to be some kind of connection between the activity and an anomalous behavior in the magnetic field. After they left, the poltergeist introduced yet another new trick. On her way downstairs to use the restroom, Margaret suddenly called out, I can't move. Something's holding me. Oh, shut up, Margaret. Gross and Peggy Nottingham went to see what was going on and found her standing on the staircase on one leg. The other stretched out behind her. She was not holding on to the rail. It's holding my leg, she repeated. Gross took her hand and pulled, but she didn't move. Peggy Nottingham then grabbed her other hand and tugged, and tugged hard. She stayed rigid, still standing on one foot. Gross finally was able to twist her sideways, whereupon she suddenly returned to normal and was able to walk down the stairs. November 11th. Sofa goes over twice while Janet's sitting on it. To overturn the sofa normally took two people and a lot of effort. The heavy oak dining table then jumped into the air as if trying to take off, but it was far too heavy. November 12th. Janet had tipped out of bed together with her mattress and landed on the floor with the mattress underneath her. At 5 a.m., Peggy decided to try automatic writing, which Playfair had shown her how to do uh, by placing a pencil lightly on paper and letting it write out without conscious direction. Leave me a message so I can help you if possible without knocking, she said out loud alone in the kitchen. Five minutes later, she found a small scrap of paper on top of the refrigerator, which was scrawled, I will stay in this house. Do not read this to anyone else. Or I will retaliate. The paper was found to be torn from one of Janet's exercise books, although she denied having written it herself. Then almost at once, there was another message that turned up on the living room table. Can I have a tea bag? I'm not quite sure why you want a tea bag, but if you like, I'll put it on the dining table. Peggy said and placed the tea bag on the table. A few seconds later, she was amazed to see another tea bag next to it, or next to the one that she had put there. The second one had been crumpled and torn. It was Saturday, and this is the day that Mr. Hodgson would arrive to deliver the maintenance money to Peggy. What's maintenance money? Uh, kind of like child support and alimony. Oh, okay. He would he would come by to do that. Yes. Is it is it still here? He asked. Yes. Huh? Well. 
I'll show you this, and I'm not to tell you anymore. She showed him the first message, forgetting all about the part that said show to no one. Oh, I'm sorry. She said out loud. I didn't remember the last part of your message. I apologize. No misunderstanding meant. Mr. Hodge left, and another piece of paper appeared on the table. A misunderstanding. Don't do it again. I know who that was. By November 14th, 1977, the invisible unwelcome guest was still throwing things around. But now instead of Legos, marbles, or slippers, now it was Janet herself. Your catch. <laughs> These are the cousins that were being thrown. <laughs> I didn't say whose cousins. <laughs> Every night without fail, as soon as she was in bed, Janet was apparently flung out onto the floor. Sometimes followed by Margaret. My bed, bitch. Peggy told Gross and Playfair that one night Janet was slung right across the room, ending up on top of an old radio on a chest of drawers. It was hard to believe since the radio was only 18 by 12 inches. But later on, not only would this happen again, but they would get a picture of it. And and that picture you can find, it looks absolutely crazy. Yeah. One night on the 14th, Playfair urged Janet to sleep in her own, on her own, having learned sometimes that this was a way to quiet down the night. And it seemed to work. She fell asleep without being thrown from her bed. But soon after started behaving strangely, crying and moaning in her sleep. And when Playfair went to the other bedroom to tell her mother, he found that Margaret was doing the same thing, almost as though they were sharing a nightmare. The following morning, Miss Hodgson's collapsed of total exhaustion. <sighs> The, the council arranged for the children to go, to go into a home while she was spent a few days at total rest at the Burcombe's house. I also think that this is a good point to end our uh, episode and take a rest ourselves. Uh, we will return next week with part three of the Enfield Poltergeist. Bye, bye. So what do you guys think of the events thus far? Crazy. I just like super scarred. Ah. It- it is definitely escalating. Quickly. Mm-hmm. Yes. They didn't heed the warning of communicating with this entity. They did not, and things are going to escalate very, very quickly and violently and now it, that they have. And it went from Legos versus marbles to kitchen tables versus couches to children being thrown. Children and cousins. <laughs> yeah. It's all at war in this house now. I have a question. Poor Margaret. <laughs> there goes Michael. <laughs> there goes my child. Watch her as he fights. Um, so I have a question. Oh, hit me again. Oh, shut the fuck up, Margaret. All right, I, I do have a question, though. What do, you, what do you all think about the... God, I'm going to lose this English accent. Okay, I got a question for you guys. What do you guys think about the whole idea and how, how true it feels? Because like, even, even the messages being written down... Like, is that a possession situation, or is that a ghost just taking over? And Automatic writing is a very tricky thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, but it wasn't automatic writing that left the messages. Oh, I thought you said it was. She tried No, that, she tried automatic writing. She started finding the notes. And then, yeah. Oh, I guess I missed that part. Because she asked the question out loud, and then these notes started appearing. She wasn't doing the notes. She would find them. Where I placed them. She found them on top of the refrigerator. She In found them drawer. on the tables. Things like that. I, there are some things that I think could very easily be Janet or Margaret. Sure. 
I mean, I I could see some of them. But some other things, like the chair and the couches flipping over and the tables flipping over, those were being done right in front of me. We're talking a 12 and 13-year-old little girls. And And if you've seen pictures of Janet and Margaret, they're scrawny little girls. Mm -hmm. So it's not like they have the strength to do this. So the physical aspects, I don't believe were them. See, that's what I'm saying, though, is like when when you're looking up um, reasons as to why or how it could be other than a poltergeist or other than a spirit, most people pin um, uh, lies on to the young girls saying that they had the majority of the, the reason why it was happening. Now, that being said, we come back to the heavy furniture. Well, I mean, you have, what, so 15, not counting the family of people who have witnessed stuff? To me, that's just too many people for it to all be a hoax. Yeah. Also, in my opinion, I can't do that. And I, I found it real interesting when, when they left for a spell of time, nothing really happened. Because I'd always heard that no matter where they went, it still went on. So Yeah. I mean, the only thing they had were the strange noises. Yeah. But that will come back to play in the next episode oh. with some of those noises. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Do they get a doggy? 68 of them. <gasps> 68 doggies! <laughs> Heaven! Or... Heaven or hell? 68 doggies? No, heaven. Oh, no. Can we get one more dog, please? <laughs> well, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, feel free to send us an email at unpnormalcy at gmail.com. Uh, you can check out our website at unpnormalcy.com. Check out our awesome new merchandise. And don't forget to get your Paramount. Para- Parabox Monthly. Your parapoo. I now have the awesome Lizzie Borden shirt, which I am wearing tonight. It's fine. I wear it. This is my Saturday shirt. This one and then my other one is the uh, Easter Island shirt. That's my Sunday shirt. So I have to ask you a question. How's the fabric? Amazing. All right. All right. So we're getting good fabric shirts with very paranormal things on them. It's and very cool. murder things. And then there's awesome little hidden messages on the shirts and... Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I'm enjoying it a lot. I, need I mean, for 20 bucks. I got the money now. I can do it. Also, if you guys want to uh, join our Facebook group, we're uh, always on chitter chattering and making funny, fun funds with everybody in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we never deny anybody, and we always say yay to everyone. Go and check out Eli's Twitch stream at B-Dubs Legend. Uh, I'm the best one-eyed streamer you know. Boom. There it is. And also join our Facebook group because for Halloween, this coming October 31st, we're going live. We're going to attempt to do a live stream. No, we're not going to attempt to. We're going to fucking vomit. On our, as we record the podcast, as we record the podcast Saturday nights anyway. And since trigger treating has been canceled. Thanks. um, Stupid thing I can't say. We are planning on just, we'll take our kids to grandma's house and great grandma's house and let them trick or treat there. But then we are going to be at home. So we're like, well, we'll just record Halloween night. And then we decide we're going to dress up. So not only are we going to be live, but you will get to see us all in costume. And I'm going to be a sexy nurse. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. We're going to be doing some divination for you guys. So if you have any questions about the coming year or any questions about your life, we're going to do some tarot and I think some bibliomancy, some pendulum 
and some oems. And so get your questions ready. Join us live. I'm not sure on a time yet. We will narrow down a time the closer we get and we'll let you know. And we'll post it on our Facebook group and all that. Um, I mean, also, uh, you guys got to think, though, um, you know, our time frames between and so-and-so or whatnot, uh, whenever our podcast stops, whenever it uh, begins, it's going to be a, a pretty much a, not a hit and miss, but a trial and error situation, because it'll be the first time that we do it. Um, I honestly think that it'll be a really, 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 really good show, especially if we have viewers in. I will find some way to blow up questions while we're going at it, so we can answer questions while we go. Yeah. Um, honestly, just we'll also prov- revise it. Uh, kind of like a chat chat guideline uh, to not uh, you know derogatory marks and stuff like that. Just I mean, honestly. well, it's him to watch our language a wee bit. Yeah, um, oh, fuck off. Hey <laughs> mate, you bloody wanker! I like the way he says wanker because it sounds like wiener. Wanker, wiener. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, join our face group, Facebook group. <laughs> if this goes well, we might do some more live episodes. We'll see how it works. Chad, you're rubbing your tits, and it's making me very uncomfortable. Um, Anybody have anything else? Nah. All right. We have a review to read before we sign off, and this is from our favorite Australian. Now, this is back in a few months ago, but we were just now able to see them. Yeah, for some reason, it wasn't showing us any of the uh, international reviews. Yeah. It says, I stumbled across this podcast. So glad I have. Interesting topics and funny hosts that always get me having a bit of a laugh. They also have a great Facebook group, too. Thanks, guys. Thank you for the review. And everybody else, go and rate and review us. We'll read your reviews on air. And we love our listeners. And so anytime we hear from you, it it makes our heads just a little bit bigger. And until next time. Keep digging.